0: Rahim. Islamic State of Mind would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which this podcast was recorded, the Eora, Darug and Wiradjuri nations. We acknowledge that indigenous sovereignty over these lands was never ceded. Islamic State of Mind would like to pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening to this podcast today.
1: We tried to contact them by radio, but no response. Rahim. Dear listeners, Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. And welcome to another episode of Islamic State of Mind. I'm Nasser. I will. Well, we will start with Happy New Year, Will.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's been a while. It's been a while.
1: Uh, what is your resolution for 2018? Uh, eight more waffles. Eight more waffles. Okay, good. It,
0: it's it's a you know a, a resolution I can live up to. It's fi
1: Allah, Always, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> this uh, before we start, uh, just a warning, a trigger warning that this interview and discussion will mention abuse and child abuse. So this was quite an interesting interview that we did with uh, Noor Warsami. Who, if you actually Google that name, you will see a lot of news coverage of him labeling him as australia's first gay imam um will what is your exposure
0: to noor and to the work that he's been doing so all i heard of him was uh from those media headlines Uh, i didn't really know anything about him Uh, i didn't know really anything about his stances and so i thought it was interesting to uh, know that you knew him and and had that kind of prior connection before he became, uh, you know, that figure. Yeah. And I, I think I got the impression from the interview that he really isn't, that, uh, and it was almost a lesson to me, in terms of knowing that that in the past when I've done media interviews and and I've found, them accounting, accounting me differently to the way I account myself, uh, and that that that's something that happens to everybody and that seemed to happen to him Mm.
1: for me it was also a very interesting perspective because as i mentioned in the interview um you know i'd I'd known him quite well we'd gone out for food together i'd attended his classes a lot of you know my friends also knew him he taught in the school uh, where my sister had attended so you know when he came out in the media and he had you know all these uh, statements to make and which were mostly you know based on media narratives, I knew there had to be a little bit more to it than that, and I was actually quite surprised when I reached out to him that he was very accommodating and even in the interview, as you'll see it's um, you know he kind of let me ask any question that I wanted yeah, so I think we we got a really good interview. it doesn't answer all the questions, but it, it certainly Gives us a lot to think about. Okay, so we'll start the intro with Noor Warsami now. Bismillahirmanirrahim. Dear listeners, Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. This is your host, Nasir. With me here today is my guest for the show, Noor Warsami. What alaikum Do you prefer brother? Do you prefer Imam? Do you prefer Bahru uloom
2: Just Nur no? Nur. Just
1: Nur? Okay. No worries at all. Back when I used to live in Melbourne, he was the uh, Imam at the mosque. Uh, he would leave the salat and he would uh, give talks and often we would have get together after the, the talks as well and have more discussions over food or pizza or something. A year ago or two years ago, um, I saw then an interview with Noor, I think it was ABC uh, or Vice, I don't remember and it was about something to do with Australia's first gay imam Um, Had this been in Canada or in South Africa or in the US I I wouldn't have paid much attention to it But the thing is because I had known Noor I knew it wasn't some kind of a I guess in the Muslim conspiracy uh, theory mentality It wasn't you know, some kind of a plot to destroy Islam from within so um, I reached out to Noor and he was kind enough to, uh, to ag- agree to this interview to kind of tell us first of all about his journey from the last time we met uh, and also to tell us about what the work that he's doing now and I guess the philosophy uh, that's propping up this work. So let's start with 10 or 12 years ago, let's say 2006 until now. Tell me the difference between that Noor and this Noor and how you reached from that Noor to this Noor.
2: Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alamin. Wassatu assalamu ala ashrfil murbiyin mursalin, sayyidina moulana Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Alhamdulillah rabbil alamin. There is I mean I'm the same Noor. The only probably difference I can think of in 2006 is when my daughter was born. Um, so I became a father then. Um, prior to that I was not a father. And the other thing, I think there is a sense of direction in what I am doing at the moment. So previously one, you know, alhamdulillah, at that time I remember coming from probably would have been 2001-2002 when I came back from South Africa and finished memorizing the Quran. There was no sense of direction. The Imam, it was uh, something that was thrust upon me, um, We were pushed into the position of leadership, but there was no sense of direction. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Almin, now, There is a sense of direction and that direction is more uh, grounded in the sense of doing service um, for the creation of Allah in general, but specifically the Muslim Ummah as well.
1: So I I guess there are two ways of going from a perspective of you personally, as well as the segment of the Muslim community that you are working with. So let's start with yourself. Um, and the question that many people would be asking is how you identify yourself? A follow-up question instantly would be how is it that you were married and had a kid and then decided to
2: identify yourself
1: as this? How does this...?
2: Um, You know, I think in a person's life journey there is not one point in that one can um, completely understand themselves. So in life one always um, learns about themselves Prophet ﷺ, that hadith Rahim Allahum, qadra for, for me, it, my personal journey with the sexuality thing is something that goes back to perhaps when I was a very young man. Um, and this is not something that I use to brush every person who identifies with different sexuality. Sometimes when it comes to a person's a young child's development, and um, if there has been some sort of interference um, to that child, um, It somehow manifests later on and you know you hear about the um, pedophilia experience when it came to the Christian um, clergy. Um, In my case I went through that similar experience as a young person. Um, My uh, Quran studies teachers in Egypt and even um, in South Africa but South Africa it wasn't as damaging as it was when I was perhaps six or um, five years old. That is why There was this confusion, and it's something that exists till this day, that I cannot have a binary um, identification, you know, black or white, I do not. And I found that to be common in our community, in the Muslim community. When I stood on this principle, it was November 2013, and it was after um, coming across similar stories of um, victims of trauma that i went through happening to them here in some masajid in uh, melbourne by some imams that i knew and also around different parts of the country so not only melbourne i thought okay how can i I mean i was fortunate enough to have resources in place to go and seek therapy but i found a lot of young people were not able to do that and uh, concept of shame was so big and you know, we don't want to embarrass the family and don't want to shame, so I thought how can I do some form of correcting some of the damage, managing the trauma that has been done. And alhamdulillah, you know, notwithstanding some of the negativities, but alhamdulillah the positives have been far more than the negatives.
1: Now, these issues that you're discussing, whether they happen in Egypt or South Africa or even here in Australia, Um, If I'll call them allegations, they're pretty, pretty major allegations. I mean, a question would be, how systemic is this in the madrasa system, in the Qur'an and Islamic studies education system?
2: And that's one thing I had a big problem with. I had some young (coughs) Fafad who were, I mean, who are still close friends of mine, who knew this happening in certain madaris, who knew um, some of the ulama that were doing this. Yet yet um, the silence was just deafening. And I understand people are worried for their positions, for their dunya material um, gains. But it is very rampant in the Muslim community on a global scale. Like uh, on the same scale, for example, as the um, Catholic Church? Wallahi allah alam. And I don't know, um, I mean, what we know of the Catholic Church is, you know, how, what we see of the media, but you know, and I studied in Egypt, I lived in Egypt. Um, And however big the scale is, what I had a big problem with is no one talks about it. And the loyalty was more to the um, perpetrator than um, the victim. Mm. Mm. And the trauma is unmanaged. That's why, I mean, we have, um, uh, I started doing at one point interpreting when I found, when I got some mental health access, uh, some access to some of the mental health cases in hospitals, now we have 4 million people in this country with mental health um, issues. You know, I found the vacuum in the support services for particularly LGBTIQ plus Muslims. Um, I mean, there was uh, support services for the mainstream Anglo-white community, but for the Muslim community there was not. Um, and I found, of, I heard of cases of people that, you know, when they Mentioned this to their parents, they were taken out of the country and they were told, you know, get married. And it would have happened to me, and it did. I mean, I went through a similar experience after the divorce in 2007. Um, I went back again to Africa. I was told, get married. And, you know, that is not um, addressing a trauma. Trauma that is nev- not addressed from a therapy perspective. It always manifests, and um, mm. so I had a problem with young people that were going through addiction issues, mental health issues, self-harm issues, and some of these people were close friends of mine here in Melbourne.
1: Like I understand that if a person, if a Muslim person in Australia uh, were to have issues like that, that their families wouldn't be able to support them or wouldn't be willing to support them, and as you mentioned, they'd be, you know, defaulting towards self-harm
2: in in many different ways. How would you provide that support? Well, I, I found, you know, I never... If you think, going back now to the first question you asked 10 years ago, 12 years ago, if you were to ask me about the same issues, even though they existed, even in Listerfield, I remember people used to come and ask and in Monash. So I think of myself now as a referral service. I mean, the first year when I started this organization called Marhaba in um, November 2013, I housed seven people in my one-bedroom flat. Not at the same time, different times. People that had to leave their homes there and then. You know, there was no support services available that I could refer them to. And parents were... um, how I would describe the parents emotionally um, illiterate. There was no communication with the child about addressing this particular trauma, and it was either the parents were or the highway. And when I referred them to, so home ground, for example, a service that deals with um, housing, you know, they sent a the person on a circle. Go here, fill this form, and you know, and this was a person that walked out of their home from muslim families walked out of their home with the clothes that they're wearing because a lot of people don't have the issue with trying to reconcile their sexuality with their um, spirituality but a lot of it is about addressing certain traumas Um, uh, managing it has been interesting to say the least because if you asked me 12 years ago how would you address this i wouldn't have known there was no manual i followed um, but Alhamdulillah, along the way, alhamdulillah, alamin, I'm finding ways of um, effectively managing it. So now, support-wise, I found networks um, within the hospitals um, to um, address this issue. And Alhamdulillah, it's growing on a national scale. So we started first in Melbourne, and now we're um, growing. And mm. it's global, Alhamdulillah, people are reaching out from different parts of the world as well. Mm. And this takes us to
1: one of the uh, more important, and I guess, if you will, controversial within the Muslim community issues, which is, if a person comes to you, let's say for example, they have you know um, attraction to same sex, for example, or if they're unclear about their um, sexual identity, how would you support them? And this is to the background of, if a person has an alcohol dependency or a drug addiction, treating them would tell them, this is wrong for you, you have to stop it, you have to deal with the issue at hand. If a person comes to you and he has same-sex attraction, how do you
2: deal with it? Um, I mean, I don't think it's a problem like alcohol or a drug addiction. Yes. I, mean, the, uh, I don't think of it. it is, uh, yes, if a, if a person went through trauma like how I was mentioning myself, then it's um, different. And you know, we have the concept of "amr um, bil ma'aruf and nahi al munkar" in our Sharia. Before you stop a person from doing. Um, the wrong thing, I think um, the ra'fa and the rahma of Muhammad وسلم, is what is needed. With the, you know, I mean, attractions and sexuality is not something that can be, you know, confined to just um, black and white, I think. Um, historically, it has never been like that, um, and I don't think it's the case now. However, with young people, I have found when and you know, I'm mean, when I say young person grey hair contradicts that, but I'm not that... Um, I mean, I was always age-appropriate, even when you were mentioning back in the years when we were at least a few. Um, but um, I think, in you know, with youth, when there isn't... A young person's number one point of support is to be the parents. Mm. When a young person cannot be a boy or a girl, when they cannot find that... Um, Refuge within the parents. They will find it elsewhere and um, You know, we have a drug epidemic in this country with ice for example with the young people when um, And if you haven't been taught in the Muslim communities and particularly Arab communities we are not as young men, you know, as young boys, we are not um, emotionally trained to be... You know, we can, I remember my father from a young age, he says, don't cry, boys don't cry. You know? um, so there wasn't that um, emotional um, language that is there. So when you suppress something natural like that, um, it adds to the trauma that the person is going through and generally there is a lot of anger. anger um, unresolved anger that's acted out anger that's inwardly and sometimes with the self-harm cases the addiction cases um, some of the youth will go into this sexually destructive um, habits because a particular trauma is not being addressed and anger that is acted um, outwardly and I have gone through both of those experiences violence and you know alcohol and drugs can add to that as well
1: my question is To put it bluntly, the imagination of the Muslim community for an Imam that helps the LGBTQ is that the Imam tells them it's okay and supports them in something which is considered as haram. And that's the crux. Mm. Is it in your support?
2: How are you dealing with that aspect of it? I disagree with the fact that people um, think of it as a haram thing. I mean, you cannot. where ay Allah Rabbi al-A'lm قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمَّا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ مِنْ خَيْلٍ فَجَعَلْتُم مِنْهُ حَرَامًا وَحَلَالًا قُلْ أَلَّهُ أَذِنَ لَكُمْ أَمْ حَلَى اللَّهِ تَفْتَرُونَ And you know a lot of the argument that is used in Hada Lutti which I find that even quite ironic to use Lut alayhis salam's uh, name to identify an act that is allegedly he wasn't part of mm-hmm. yet the name that is used to identify is Hada Lutti and the Quran you know responds to that I do not focus on that part, I do not say to the young people that it's haram because I personally don't believe it's haram and secondly as an imam I think I chose to stand on a principle I knew the losses, the risks that would be um, targeted at me, alhamdulillah I had a very you know, supportive community before. But I was dealing with an avalanche of misery that I could not manage on my own. And, you know, me personally with the trauma that I had gone through, um, in fact, one of the teachers had moved to Australia and lives in Melbourne, one of the teachers that um, had um, the perpetrators of, uh, one of the two main perpetrators of the pedophilia on me. So When I decided to come out to the family, not necessarily sexuality-wise, but to mention that trauma, the response was um, quite shocking for me. And after going to, you know, seeing different um, therapists and counselors, I found out that a lot of the time even the same thing happened with the um, Christian clergy. They say the, the victim of abuse generally asks you to do a lot whereas the perpetrator asks you to do nothing. That's why a lot of the victims were considered as they were lying, and a lot of these people that have done these um, atrocities were in um, prominent positions, like the individual with my family. I thought, if this is the damage that has been done from a very young age, and this is the response that is happening from family, it adds to the um, tragedy. Alhamdulillah, it has been very effective. Even though I'm very disappointed with the um, the Royal Commission people, they flew from Sydney. We talked about 11 cases um, people who have gone through that same trauma here in Melbourne in different uh, massages in different Islamic schools. And there was no mention uh, with their final report about this um, being an epidemic in the Muslim community. I mean, there was that mention of the Mani case with the Jewish Yeshiva College and um, that boy who Um, His parents had to sell everything here because the Jewish community turned on them and the father and the parents moved to Israel and the rabbi. And um, the boy went through, family had to sell everything like I mentioned. Mm. But there was no one, I mean, um, I met with them three. They flew from Sydney to have an interview with me, the Royal Commission people. Um, But there was no mention in their final report. So I think we still um, have some way to go in that
1: area. Going back a, um, a step, like we, we need to continue with this, but I have to go back and, and um, address something that you did mention, that you don't consider uh, it to be haram. So is it the sexual orientation that you're talking about, or the what would be considered as zina, because it wouldn't be
2: within the bonds of marriage? The orientation is what I don't think, I mean, in Surah Nisa, there is a mention of The two of the Surah An-Nisa That fahisha is the zina, that is what is not allowed and Mm -hmm. that um, is not allowed in any um, lifestyle but the orientation, the gender, I don't... um, I think there is uh, enough agreement
1: within the Muslim community that an orientation, you know, whether that orientation is natural or otherwise that as long as it's not acted upon, it's not haram How do you reconcile that? With the fatawa and, and the traditional, I guess, Islamic position
2: that's already available after Ashab I think when Allah talks about the verses of, for example, the verses of, look, if it came to the actual act that one cannot act upon, the amount of men that I have um, asked contacted me to ask about having sexual intercourse with their wives from the Dubur, from um, anal sexual intercourse and women who have contacted about their husbands asking about that is far more than um, the number of homosexual people that exist so if it was just on that act on its own I think there's more heterosexuals who are homosexual than homosexual um, individuals but I think in you know, Ulema and I have um, no, nothing against an alim can any person who claims to have alim, their alim um, is taken and weighed against what Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the, uh, of, uh, the Quran is and rejected or accepted based on that. Um, however, I do not think in the, um, a humans. Um, you know, temptations, yes. If one acts upon it, but, uh, I was mentioning the ayatul in uh, the menstrual. It's alunaka al-mahilah. Allah You try to tell any young heterosexual boy with hormones and testosterone, and and we live in a modern society. I mean, I was in Africa in 2010, and in primitive village areas, and you know, young. Cousins of mine who are 13, 14 years old knew how to use access to the internet and find, you know, um, explicit pornographic websites. So, young people, we always find a way. So, to say no, in, this is something that one cannot act upon or shouldn't act upon. Yes, it is an argument that is there, but I do not think it's an argument that one can use for the rest of their life based on... Because it's not a phase. I don't believe the orientation is a phase that one goes through and it goes away. So for example, the ayah where Allah and the uh, discusses the lust, they the last, the يحب ayah, He Why end it with the and tawara? Yes, even though it is one week, seven days, eight days, nine days, however long, um, different women have different uh, menstrual cycles and um, the duration. But Allah, knows that there are some men who will not be able to wait at whole period, and that's where the ulama and the fuqaha have divided the time where a person um, to three categories. You know, a man, ف... and one must give sadaqa. Tawbah is mentioned in a hukum shar'i. A hukum shar'i that is mentioned, Allah alim al khabir, or something like that. But to end it with uh, tawbah and um, tahara, and Allah knows, even though it's a hukum that's been clarified, many of um, men will not be able to hold on to it. And Allah opened the door of tawbah. Whereas it is not in the human's hand. That is why you will hear people like the person you mentioned and other ulama who are quite. Um, without knowing any facts, without knowing an individual, you know, almost immediately um, attack a person and a person's um, right to have their opinion and to have their say, and to say no it's haram and and you know, cut all that. This is not um, the way Allah even chose for himself, um, if, if there was anybody if it was only to be the, um, the, the obedience to the Ahkam of Allah Alameen that would have um, uh, allowed the person to live freely, not many people would be around. Uh, Allah opens the door of Tawbah even to us who sin. So why don't we, if we consider this is, you know, the, the, this is the, about the maheed, it's about a couple who are married. It's not about... Um, you know, I I you know, yeah. If your perspective is that we have to give support to LGBTQ
1: Muslims with the understanding that they're human beings and they make mistakes, but without that acknowledging that those acts are halal,
2: then I think you'll find a lot of people are in agreement. Well, I don't say that. I mean, there is no hukum in the Quran, for example, if you just look at the Quran, that is explicit when it comes to how to deal with homosexual individuals. Uh, homosexual acts or individuals? Acts so of individuals. There is nothing that says kill them or in the Quran. Yeah. However, in the Quran there are ayat that mention about riba, mm. interest. How many Muslims you know have both houses on interest? Yes. Only one of two ma'ābah places where Allah Alamin Himself declares war. The um, first one is the Hadith Qudsi: And the other one is: "Fiilam tafalu fadhanu min wa About the ayat. Yet we found a way to justify that. And, you know, I heard Chef Yusuf Qaradawi or some alim came 30 years ago and um, made it halal for if it's your first home and etc. It's a قطعي, it's a نص that is explicit. Alcohol, for example, and there are souls in the Quran that mention um, that it is haram and not allowed. Yet if a young person does it, we say he's going through a phase, and you know, Allah. Yet there is nothing in the Quran that says this is how we should teach. And the response and the reaction from the community—it's um, not only sometimes violent, but it is um, often it's like lunacy, lunacy. And, and I remember people used to pray behind me and um, would attack—not me personally, because I will attack them back. But uh, you know, my daughter, for example, in the school that she—this I mean, is a child. This is people that were my moms, you know. And Allah says, um, But that I found um, a bit hypocritical from the general Muslim community. Because I mean,
1: you mentioned that the Quran, for example, doesn't mention anything about it. But
2: no, I didn't say enough. It doesn't
1: mention it in that way. To that, I guess. Yeah, yes. But there are ahkam, for example, in the Hadith. They're pretty explicit as well. On the act. I'm not talking about. The persuasion. Let's say that the persuasion people have it, and that's you know that's the ruzak, and they deal with it however they will. But if we talk about the act, there are pretty explicit hadith.
2: Yes, and as there are a hadith when it comes to heterosexuality, you know, with zina and. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but we don't act. I mean, how many men I know who are Somali men who have been married, taxi drivers who would go to, you know, driving at night time would have. Uh, the nifaq yeah. is extraordinary. I think. Um, uh, but when I was mentioning the Quran is. You know, there are bigger issues, and unfortunately when um, youth, you're talking about, um, and that's why I use my uh, the media platform particularly, because I found a lot of the trauma that was being inflicted upon these individuals started from homes, fathers, mothers, brothers, cousins, um, and I thought, okay, how can I get this message into Muslim homes? And alhamdulillah, you know, I didn't know how it was going to be received. But alhamdulillah, thus far it has been um, positive. So this is
1: actually um, it's a good lead to my next question is about the media and, you know, your engagement with the media. In, in terms of your interviews on Channel 10, on the ABC, on Vice and, and all the other channels, it felt like they were co-opting you for something that you weren't saying, right? For example, all of the stuff with Google, your name, first off is Australia's first gay imam, for example. So you mentioned that you use the media as a platform to reach out and to make your position heard. Yes. How has
2: that return been for you? Do you feel that you've lost or that you've gained? Personally, I never identified myself as Australia's first gay imam. I asked them Channel 10, or you know, it was SBS for example. I said, do you have Australia's first heterosexual imam? But you alhamdulillah, know? <laughs> <laughs> in a way, I was glad that they did that because it, it was that shock factor. It gave a lot of people, you know, oh, there's an imam and there's this. But it wasn't my intention. And my intention was to get the message in homes, Muslim homes, because I mean, just January this year, January of 2017, the last count I made was 1,800 people that I dealt with from November 2013 till January 2017. 1,800 people. 1,800. From around the country, two individuals flew specifically from um, New Zealand and one person from Fiji. And I am not a person who who has, till now, any um, uh, support or finances. I mean, with the media, the cameraman was paid, the interviewee was paid, and uh, but everyone was paid. I went there with my intellectual property and spiritual property because my focus was how can I manage this, um, like I mentioned earlier, an avalanche of misery. Families contacting mothers not knowing how to respond to their husbands because a child um, identified as either LGBTI or plus. Um, But I never thought for the life of me that it was going to save lives. For example, I got a contact from a young Somalian boy, interestingly, in Minnesota, um, in America, after the project um, uh, story was done. And this is a young Somalian boy, my original country, um, left the family, the family lived in Seattle, moved to Minnesota to do some, he was a pharmacology student. And he saw this media story and he said, had this story been aired one day late or one day after, uh, other than today, he said, I wouldn't be here. I didn't, it, it was on the Facebook messenger, so I didn't understand, I thought maybe he was going away or something. So he said to me, he actually chose the method, um, the time, the date, and he said I wasn't planning to survive. So I thought and that night it was something that um, it stayed with me. So the media, they have their agendas, and I was quite disappointed with a lot of the, um, interestingly, the brown color ones that they used to interview me, um, some of them were Muslim, Um, and I thought naively, because I never dealt with media, I thought maybe these people are genuine in addressing this message. But all the uh, interest was, I remember Channel 10 mentioned, the term was mentioned that for the first time was ratings. They said, uh, current affairs, their ratings start high and then low. Our ratings start low and then go up. And I didn't understand, I came home, a friend of mine, a neighbor was an artist, I said, what language is this? she said, no, oh, no, no, it's the numbers. I said, has Allah, And, you know, they thought, you know, they will use my story to get ratings. But alhamdulillah, it was reciprocatory, I think no. I used. But alhamdulillah, it, um, like I mentioned, for the life of me, I didn't think it was going to save lives. It um, provided healing, in fact, family, I have a family staying with me from visiting from Perth. I'm Malaysian, Singaporean background, a mother and her son. And you know, the son was ostracized from the mother for about four years and they came together. We were speaking for some time. It united families, it gave hope to a lot of young people. I also had a problem when I started this with a lot of young people that were telling me you know, they rejected Islam. I had a big problem with that. And the second thing I had a problem with people that would fall into the pressures of getting married, like I did, you know, and leading a double life. So I thought, okay, how can I have something in a way that we can be, like Allah says, We can wassat between these two calamities of rejecting the faith or leading a double life. Alhamdulillah, and it provided, it restored faith to people. I didn't think when I started that it was going to have such an impact, alhamdulillah. How has the community's reaction been to yours, the wide community, the Muslim leaderships? Wallahi, you know, I I remember the minute I decided this, and this was after getting a phone call from a school psychologist that was in November 2013 when I decided to take um, a stand. I didn't just wake up one morning and decide to come up with marhaba, you know, it was um, after getting a referral of a young 16-year-old girl of Egyptian background um, at uh, an Islamic school King, uh, Islamic school here in Melbourne and this young girl يعني, felt like you know, a boy trapped in a girl's body you're talking about 15-16 years old, transgender feelings and I remember the family sat her down and the family they said to her forget uh, um, Allah Rabbal Alamin accepting your prayers is there sul with such feelings Salaticic. Salah will in fact be cursing me. A 15, 16 year old child that is being told that I've had a big problem with that and um, this school counselor I know her I knew her from before and she's, she called she was not Muslim. Um, she called to ask a theological question, Is this halal? is this what you believe? It was in November 22nd, I remember, of 2013 and um, I said no, it is not true. And I remember that night I did not sleep, you know, between salah and, you know, worrying consequences. And my teacher, one of my teachers in South Africa, before making a decision, used to always make us think of a thousand outcomes and actually make us write them down. We never passed a hundred or made even to a hundred. Because he would always make us start with worst case scenarios. I thought, okay, if I do this, what's the consequences, the ramifications, the risks? And you know, first worst case scenario was death, get get killed. And you know, it was never something I'm accustomed to death. I see death on a regular basis with my work. I bury people as part of my job. Till now people call from around the country. Um, So it's not something that I was concerned about. We all have to die eventually, it's just a matter of time. But I thought, how can I do it in a way where I'm not going to agitate some of the fanatical elements that we have in our community, like in every other community. So Alhamdulillah, um, I decided, and the name was, I I didn't want anything to do with religion when I chose the name Marhaba. Because I thought, okay, Marhaba, I didn't want it to be place where it was how to manage the trauma, trauma that was caused by shiukh and the masajid and the imams and homes and families condemning their um, loved ones in the name of religion. So I thought, okay, we will not put something um, that has a religious name. I came up with the name Marhaba, alhamdulillah. How has been
1: the reaction or support or condemnation of, I guess, the LGBTQ
2: community? Well, I, I think I didn't answer the first, but the other question was the main, the wider community. The wider community, I knew when I stood on this principle, I would lose a lot of. I mean, we don't get excommunicated as an imam, original, central authority like the churches. Alhamdulillah, my title and my heifel's title is mine. No one has the power and all the authority to take that off me. Um, but it was something I was willing to live with. I mean, I miss going to the masjid. I miss it, it's um, something, you know, like a Shahir said, but if that was the price that I have to pay in order for me to bring back young people into deen, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Do you think people would reject you from mosques, if you, you know, I have anger problems, and I'm you know, I don't, I'm not saying I'm innocent, I, I'm i not the type of person if someone says something to you, you we'll just keep quiet, you know and then it's got me into a lot of trouble. A couple of examples I have seen um, going to masjid and people mousing off um, at me um, and I saw my reaction. So I said, okay. And it's sad you know, to say such a thing. When the masjid becomes something that um, becomes um, like a community club or a community center and you have to be a particular way or I think you saw the SBS story with the feed there was a lesbian sister on there and, Alhamdulillah, you know, academic she was a politician, Labour Melbourne candidate at that time and she mentioned to me that she went to a masjid one time and the masjid, you know, she went to the women's section and she put the hijab on, but a mother, a mama came to her and she threw the hijab at her as she was standing up to pray she already had the hijab, but she had pants but she threw another hijab at her and she said dress properly or go home The Baitullah, it's not your house or your family home, it is Baitullah. When we have, uh, you know, the masjid is supposed to be a place where a man, a person, is supposed to feel... um, When you go to a masjid and it's um, something, you you worry about what's going to be, it's no longer, um, your ibadah is no longer, so I would say, stay in the masjid, in in your home, and your your masjid is in your home. So that's how I do. But alhamdulillah, now I have the hospital here, and there's a small Musallah area, which I can go to. But um, alhamdulillah, you know, the fact that um, you know, I mean, Muhammad ﷺ was kicked out of Mecca. Uh, he was saying, Allah, ya Mecca, inna ki li ahabu al-baqa'i illa qalbiu. anna qawmi akharajuni minki lama kharajtum minki. Until Allah, Rabbul Alameen, revealed the verses, unna alladhi farad alayka al-Qur'an la radduka ila ma'ad. Uh, I'm waiting for that Ma'ad for me. <laughs> I, I mean, it's up to you whether you want to keep this bit in or, n- or not I recommend that you don't keep
1: it in <laughs> Because people will say, who is this guy to compare what he's going through with what Prophet are selling went through <laughs> yes. so That's up to you whether you yes. want to keep that or not yes. um, How has the uh, the reaction of the uh, the LGBTQ community yeah. in Australia been to you?
2: The mainstream? Yeah Alhamdulillah, you know um, I approached initially, when I first started, I approached the main um, LGBT-registered organizations but, uh, you know, um, <laughs> you know <laughs> It's like a, a mirage. You think it's there, but it's not there. Because, you know, like we have patriarchy, there is Okay. I I don't know if that answers (laughs) your (laughs) question.
1: I'd expect that since it's majority white people, that whiteness would play a large role in it.
2: We have in Melbourne the first individual who's been appointed as a gender and sexuality commissioner. Um, I know her. I went and saw her when she was firstly appointed to that position under the Daniel Andrews government. Two things, you know, I wanted ever since I started this organization. and this One was and it's about managing the trauma. Something that the entire community would benefit from. We have homelessness as an issue, mental health as an issue, and we don't somehow, we are not addressing it. It's a basic management um, and administrative flaw. Um, I said housing, most important thing for for young people to prosper and transition safely is um, safe, affordable housing. That's why, and I mentioned, empirical evidence of seven people that I house, not at the same time, in my one-bedroom unit, because, you know, it was either that or they go and live in um, the streets or on the couch of, like, some cases I have come across also of young Muslim boys who would be sleeping in the couch of a house that is offered by a drug dealer and the drug dealer uses them as, um, you know, someone that delivers the drugs for them. So I said, number one, um, a safe house where we can manage this um, trauma with the homelessness. And the second would be um, uh, like a drop-in center, a community center, where we can discuss these issues at least, and whether we reconcile them or not is not an issue, but just discuss them and see, mention this is something that it, imams, an LGBT issue particularly is a topic which imams always tiptoed around um, on a global scale so I said those two things but I remember when I went and met her and she said oh yes we'll see we shall the show. and then it would have been Allah knows, but maybe three four months maximum after that uh, meeting Um, There was a mention by the Daniel Andrews government of a 15 million dollar pride center. Pride, pride. I'm very vocal against that pride center. um, Is it against the center itself or against the concept of pride? uh, Yes, the whole concept. There's nothing to be proud of. One case of self-harm of a young person is a token of shame and the mentality is 15 million dollars with no consultation and mashallah they offered me a prayer room within the price Yes, okay. and they're trying to compete with one that is in San Francisco or somewhere in the U.S. it said it will dwarf the one that's there What's the, where is the homelessness issue? where is managing this trauma? Okay. So I mean it's interesting that you said that
1: you were against the pride center. And this I guess is the is is one of the important issues, the, the differences in Muslim Islamic principles and I guess what we label for the sake of argument liberal principles. That's In the Islamic understanding, a person who has these, you know, uh, this kind of orientation is considered as a normal Muslim, that his acts and not his orientation determine him. While, you know, the the ideology or the philosophy behind building a Pride Center is that you should be proud of whatever orientation you are. So has this caused, I guess, a rift between you and the wider LGBTQ community?
2: Uh, The the heads within the patriarchy, yes. Mm -hmm. We don't get along Mm -hmm. because, I mean, I was quite bluntly told it's either you're with us or against us. I said, may Allah Rabbil Ali never make me um, with you. Mm -hmm. These are individuals, even when you look online and Google my name, this the same woman, this commissioner and others, Minister for Equality. I summarized his portfolio to Minister for B.S. and I told him this, Martin Foley, he didn't like that. Because his portfolio, Martin Foley, is Minister for Disability, Minister for Mental Health, Housing and Creative Arts. And, you know, uh, managerialism ideology. and Completely out of touch with what is happening with young people. And, you know, they have people who are following them around. And they thought, I'll be one of those that will um, follow and clap for them. But the Pride Center for me was a disappointment, and you know I always say, you know, Allah Azza never make it see the day of light, because it does not benefit. Fifteen million dollars, you know, if I had that fifteen million dollars, what it could do here to the hospital, the psych ward. I do work here, you know, that's where I start my rounds. And Alfred is a public hospital, and you know sometimes the clinicians because of this in and out, they make fun of some of these young people. Oh, the frequent flyer is here, they say. Some of them they call. And it is sad because, you know, a young person that gets discharged to St. Kilda, for example, quite a big drug community. Why, what is this, how is this helping um, the $15 million pride center? How is this helping their case? So I found in, when it comes to the delivery of support services, um, those who are, still in positions of authority are as much as a disappointment as our Imams who have been causing these um, issues within our communities.
1: So I guess my final question is, for your future, Mm -hmm. what are you planning uh, to do with with Marhaba, with the Muslim community, Um, I guess, you know, just as as part of
2: your, you know, um, mission, how, how would you like to fulfill your mission? You know now the Hadith comes to mind, Sayyidina Dawud asked Allah Rabbul He said, عبادك أحب ilayk Who's your most beloved to you? Allah Rabbul said, Ya أحب عبادي ilayya القلب نقي الكفين لا يلقى أحداً بسوء. So Clean heart, clean hands لا يلقى أحداً بسوء. which is what a Muslim is. Muslim is a Muslim من, سلم من يده ولسانه. Just by sight A Muslim Just by looking at them One is supposed to feel absolutely safe From their tongue and from their hand Now, equate that to going to a masjid And having this on the back of your mind and Today I'm going to, it will be a WWC <laughs> uh, fight uh, لا يمشي بالنميمة. تزول الجبال ولا يزول. يعني. He said this, you know, people that talk about other people without um, um, any authority. And when it comes to the Iman of this individual, Allah He said تزول الجبال ولا يزول. And then he said أحبني وأحب من أحبني وحببني إلى عبادي. said ربي تعلم أحبك you know I love you? وَأَحِبُّ مَنْ يُحِبُّكَ And I love those that love you. وَلَكِنْ كَيْفَ أَحَبِّبُكَ إِلَّا عِبَادِكَ How can I make others fall in love? He said, Allah says, So to come back to answer your question, I mean, one is tired, one is feels overstretched, 1,800. And I mentioned this in front of this Minister Foley and others at Melbourne School of Law in November this year. And I remember when I mentioned the 1,800, everyone in this School of Law, Sari yourself and I'm thinking, what are you clapping for? I said, well, This is not success stories. I said, these are stories that I've just come across because of I have been humbled to facilitate this platform. But, if I didn't, it could have been 1,800 suicide cases. Um, it's not something we should be proud of. Yeah, I mean, that's what my um, goal is, but I would like to do it in a more manageable way, not how I was doing it in the last four years. One oh, feels really stretched out. And now, alhamdulillah, I'm working on a book as well, and, um, which is I, it was supposed to come out this year, because I have um, procrastinated. Inshallah, that's in um, the next six months that what I'll be working on. Inshallah, but that's what I have always wanted and prayed to Allah العالمين, to um, privilege me, and you know that Allah مستخدمنا ولا تستبدلنا um, to use us for the service of Hisعباد and and to turn the khalq back to Him. That is my one مقصود in life. May Allah accept your work and on, accept man. your du'a
1: and, and uh, guide you insha'Allah for on, all that is good in his cause and for the service of the ummah insha'Allah. Thank you very much. Jazakallah Karim for your time with us today. Salam
0: so I think what really stood out from the interview was uh, that, that Noor's concerns were on the whole practical. A lot of the things that he was talking about weren't necessarily creedal issues, but they were really issues about how young people in our community who were dealing with a range of problems which which are related to but not really not confined to issues about sexuality and identity, um, about how they deal with... Uh, you know families who, who aren't emotionally supportive about how um, they deal with, with kind of histories of abuse um, Mental health issues drug issues things like that. That was really kind of the core of his concern uh, and it and and uh, Not that I'm in kind of a, a place to judge But he seemed very sincere in that concern and and I I felt like these were issues that we as a community We, we do have problems with did you get the same kind of sense?
1: Yeah, it, it kind of highlighted um something about our community which a lot of other communities have which is that they don't like to deal with sensitive issues mm. they will deny whatever needs to be denied they will start becoming very aggressive and you know in the way that uh, Noor described it to the level of lunacy um, and even though we say we don't have an institutional structure in religion so we don't have for example a pope but we do put a lot of respect and authority on our Imams and so when that happens, when the Imam then turns out to be a criminal in any sense of the word including for example abusing children we refuse to believe it mm. and we will have always people who defend him people who even when faced with blatant facts about that particular Imam or that particular community leader they'll continue to defend him no matter no matter what and almost uh, you know present him as Islam itself, mm. and so condemning him or questioning him would be condemning or questioning Islam itself, and that I saw that in the interview with Noor that um, this is really affecting the community in so many ways, mm. especially for people here who, you know, are, are entrusted onto, um, you know, Quran schools or, or uh, Islamic schools and are, um, you know, abused in the worst way.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that part of, part of the issue, particularly in, in a country like Australia, is that we, we feel we can't talk about these issues because they become associated with the esteem or with the prestige of the religion itself. And so that by talking about um, things, you know, the problems about, uh, within the community, um, we're viewed as, as almost uh, as kind of attacking, as, as kind of taking the side of those who hate us. If, if somebody talks about these issues to the community, they don't get listened to, and so oftentimes they view speaking to, to the media or speaking to people outside of the community as really their only avenue to getting those issues addressed. Uh, and, and he obviously felt that that was an effective yeah. thing, that that actually did work, um, despite the, the way that it really seemed to fundamentally misrepresent who he is and what he does. I thought it was very interesting
1: how a lot of the criticism towards him was it's fine if you have these issues it's fine if you're gay but why do you have to go out on the media and introduce yourself and almost promote the haram from uh, i guess a perspective of an authority of an imam but uh, you know you can see from the in from the interview from his experience of it that it wasn't like that at all yeah. the way that the media had co-opted his cause and then reshaped it into something completely different he addressed that as well and this continues to happen with all the structures of the state that he's working with, whether it's, the, you know, the Andrews government promising him a musalla in the pride center, or whether it's the media calling him, you know, Australia's first gay imam when he never identified as such. Um, it's, it's, you know, it really does clarify to us that the media in many cases is not our friend. And if we're going to deal with it, we need to be very careful and very versed.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, that people are often competing over window dressing. Muslims and non-Muslims are wet on this issue. They're really competing over window dressing. They're not competing over the, the, the real issues that are of concern for us and, and, and for the community um, in terms of you know, how we deal with youth who have gone astray or who, who have no familial support. Um, and I think that, that there's this. He talked about lunacy, and I think that that's a really accurate way of, of, of describing the way that a lot of Muslims respond when these issues are brought up. You know, to the extent of just um, making up religious edicts, making up um, religious justifications for what really seems to be a, a gut revulsion, um, mm. something that, that we don't we don't respond to when it comes to issues of interest or or a lot of other issues that are much 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 more widespread and much more kind of. Um, harmful or normalized to the community um and and so with, within that within that kind of space we're, we're, we're fighting over that window dressing over you know 15 million dollars for, for a pride center or whatever um when what people really need is housing and, and things like that yeah um, halfway um, houses and um, rehabilitation and- yeah and so there's there's this competition about um about window dressing um and and that, that was that was where he kind of um, what he was really saying, and I think that that as Muslims like i think I really think it is important that f- for us to support these kids um, if we really take our our, our our religion seriously if we take our, our, our kind of responsibilities to the ummah generally um, I think that that having a, a kind of a discussion of these issues particularly around abuse and, and around clerical authority and things yeah. like that yeah so so while I don't necessarily think that that there's an innate connection between uh, sexuality issues of sexuality and things like mental health and, and uh, all of these these kind of issues uh, I think that the, the way that the community addresses the issue of sexuality often makes that relationship much more concrete Yep. It, it forces a relationship between mental health and, 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 and drug abuse and all those things um, upon people who are try, trying to deal with, already trying to deal with other other stuff, and so that oftentimes that this ostracism is is compounding a problem, um, really kind of deepening some of the some of the kind of rifts within the community between families and things like that. And I think that having a real proper conversation about this, one that isn't just uh, kind of bashing which is which is often what's happening or just kind of or viewing it as an issue that's that's coming from outside uh, yeah. i think that that's one of the things is that we always view this as something that's as a conversation that's being imposed on us as opposed to something that's real that that's concrete that happens to people's children
1: uh great and thank you very much for your thoughts well welcome <laughs> and uh, thank you to our listeners for listening to this podcast um we are very keen on your thoughts, uh, on your contributions and comments. Please get in touch with us on Twitter. Uh, I don't remember the Twitter account. <laughs> we should look it up. <laughs> we should look it up. Uh, but uh, yeah, again, thank you very much. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. For a time, we tried to contact him by radio, but no response.